jiggle. Can you remember any of the rap that you did? My money don't jiggle jiggle, it folds. I like to see you wiggle wiggle, for sure. It makes me want to dribble dribble, you know. Riding in my fear, you really this have the, to see it. Six feet two in a car. You really have to no see it. It's exactly the case with walls right now. In my mind, sipping some red, red wine. We're expanding your musical horizons. I sit horizons. from chalices, holding my palaces. Crib is so cramped, we suck it up from paralysis. Rhymes, I ride them in the castle. You try to diss me, I'm pretty sure you're awful. You know, there's like ten illusions. I can tell you it's illegal. Treason, that's the reason I'm real. You'll do time for the crime of less majesty. I'd the police because they can't arrest me 11 <laughs> anyway <laughs> welcome everyone to the 105th episode of the light shed podcast brandon ross the man with the greenest hair in all the land Richard S. Greenfield, and the king of TikTok, the self-denying boomer himself, Walter Pysik. Definitely not a boomer, so I can self-deny being a Gen Xer, perhaps, but not a boomer. Oh, yeah, that's that's point. You know, you're a boomer. Uh, factually, no, but if that's what you want to go with, go for it. What's the cutoff for boomer? I think boomers not a even mindset. close to Boom, that. Boomers a mindset. Like That's someone that it's like someone strolling down Bourbon Maybe Street. Maybe boomers were born know. between 1946 and 1964, currently 57 to 75 years old, which Walter is not. Walt is close. I'm not even <laughs> marginally close to that. And normally I would say no offense, boomers, but no, I'm, I'm not even going to because I really enjoyed saying, okay, boomer. Why? Well, should say I, Gen X, Brandon. I can't look at you, Rich. Can you take yourself off video? It's not green. I mean, I'm looking at it. It's, definitely it's fucking green. It is getting, getting I'm getting, I am getting my haircut tomorrow. I, I don't think that's going to solve lighting. the color problem. Yeah. <laughs> If you get your hair colored the tomorrow. The thing is, like, if everyone, if your natural color looks like it's getting colored, then you might as well just color it. But I'm not getting colored. Like, there's no, definitely I no. That, I mean, but it like, wouldn't be this gray if I was getting it colored. I mean. Although it is, it is pretty on trend. Have you seen Francisco Lindor's hair? His hair is green, too. I'm going to do a little Googling this weekend and figure out what light we need to send you to, to show your hair in the proper shade. I'm looking forward to that. Okay. Well, it's been a very interesting week. A lot of a volatility. volatility. Yes, <laughs> a little bit a little of bit. volatility in the market. Um, fun for everyone. And uh, let's kick it off with the first slide, Rich. So we have um, Modest Proposal tweeting out Twitter's 2023 targets were 315 million MDAUs and seven and a half billion in revenues. Elon Musk, this is, I guess, part of his investor discussions that he's been having where he's raised over $7 billion of incremental capital this week, says Musk's 2025 targets are 500 million MDAUs and 13 billion in revenues. He's actually looking for 6 billion of, looks like EBITDA. Um, and he's now talking about the fact that Twitter will always be free for casual users, this is a tweet he published, but maybe a slight cost for commercial and government users. And so the, the big question, Brendan, is like, how do you grow revenue if you're sort of 
Last couple of weeks, he seemed far less interested in the ad model. Jack sort of tweeted out how sort of advertising was sort of, you know, the, the growth, the focus on advertising. It was, growth the sort devil. Of made it. It was something Correct. he never wanted to do. And Correct. he said that Elon is the one guy who can kind of get Twitter back to what Jack wanted it to be. In so the if you have on the place. one side, so on the one side, you have let's open up free speech, let's stop censorship, which is going to scare brands. We have less interest in advertising, but we have much more aggressive user targets, which seem possible, I guess, for sure. But the revenue side of those user targets seems harder to understand. I struggle to why, believe people are going to pay. You, can I ask you a question, Rich? Yeah. Why why are the why is the user target of 500 million something that you think is not to be questioned? I mean, you have a platform that's been around for a long time at this point. It has pretty, you know, very high brand equity. The Twitter bird is everywhere, um, but it's never gotten a real following Um well, not a real following, but a following that is as scaled as some of the other social and interest media competitors. Um, well, it, it has well can, over. What, in, what can be done? Look, we don't point? know. They don't report MAUs anymore, but MAUs are obviously that more was, than double, probably okay. well more than double. So, right, like, so this is about increasing engagement with the platform. There's definitely lots of casual users. How do you make people more regular users? We've talked a lot about how, yes, iteration is better, but it certainly is not what it needs to be. And so you've got potentially one of the world's most innovative product guys. I don't understand the Metamucil. Regularity, come on, Rich. Just I mean, dude, don't, to keep going. Don't get distracted. I, mean, I, saw, I thought we were going back to. I thought we were going back to boomers and Metamucil. I thought that was sort of <laughs> that's basically what it was. It you know, was. I was, just trying to figure I was that tying out. it all. Together. You just got to keep going. You just don't. I'm too just, quick for you, Rich. It's I got okay. distracted. I got going. distracted. <laughs> so I, I guess the question is, how the user side? I think seems totally plausible. They have a fraction of the users of platforms like. Um, like Facebook and Instagram. I, I don't think growing users, I, I the part I don't understand is what is the economic model to get anywhere near that type of revenue and profitability without advertising or with less advertising or less of a focus on advertising. I don't know how you build a robust subscription business because I feel like the bigger the wall gets on subscription, the more people are going to, more people who tweet are going to be less engaged because the audience is going to be smaller I just of Twitter. Oh, yeah. I mean, he he addresses that tension, right? He says Twitter will always be free for most people, but he wants to charge power users, which are content creators um, and businesses, also content creators. So what does he need to do to actually be able to charge and charge a decent amount of money, not like $2 a user um, uh, for those people? If you're talking about getting billions of dollars of incremental revenue, which he is because I don't know, what's uh, Twitter's revenue now, like five, and he's talking about going to 13. So how, how, many, how many people would actually pay? How many businesses well, would pay a meaningful amount to be I able think to this, tweet? I think this comes back to something that TikTok has done very well, which is um, put 
great creator tools into the hands of people. And then you can charge them to utilize those tools and their utilization of those tool, tools should theoretically improve the product. The question is, what do those, those specific things look like on the platform as it currently exists? So do there need to be radical changes to the platform itself? Beyond maybe just maybe that's speech. part of what he does, right? I mean, that's, I guess, the unknown if we don't really know the whole plan. It, I don't know. It's just it, those numbers on revenues and profitability. I mean, Twitter making six billion of EBITDA, those are big. <laughs> that's big more than they numbers. do in revenue now. I think. I don't know. Uh, yeah, is it? I, look, it's just it's just a it's just a very very. I mean, six aggressive billion of, target. Well, twenty twenty five. That's three years. By the way, Elon has missed a lot of targets. If you follow, if you follow Tesla, my Tesla year, is so. still not fully self-driving. Let's just be clear. <laughs> Well, look, the, the bottom line is what is abundantly clear, I think, is that in the next is 12 it, months, if this deal closes, Twitter's going to have a very different business model than what it has today. I think we have to also ask the question, a lot of this, these numbers that are getting put out there is because Elon's aggressively been courting equity um, stakeholders throughout this process, which essentially offloads risk from himself. Sure. Do you think he has a little bit of cold feet and wants to kind of, I don't know. Uh, you love this narrative. Oh my God. Elon I don't know. Back out. No, no, he's Still not going to back narrative? out. No, no, no. no he's, he do, does not do, have cold feet. I'm going to answer no, not that. Cold feet. Do you do, think that he's trying to, you just said, does he have cold feet? This is what I, no, this doesn't. is what I meant by it. Okay. Um, sort of manage risk a little bit better for himself by offloading risk onto others. We'll see. I don't know. I, I don't think he's, he, he's not showing any signs of walking away. He doesn't, no, any, no, no. Any, the fact not that he raised $7 away. billion dollars in a week, I, you know, I, I hope we're as lucky to raise $7 billion in a week one day. So um, he's pretty impressive. This particular human is someone that looks to mitigate risk. When you look at I could probably bore people with 15 different examples where that's not the case. So like to try Very and insert fair. that in this situation is just ridiculous. Sorry. What's the it point is. of the equity raise then? I mean, if you're reducing your share, then you can own more Tesla and put money in other things. Like that's not risk. That's just, you know, sharing the, you know, sharing the overall Port cost. Portfolio management. Is the, is the dollars he putting in not enough is, is running. I mean, at the end of the day, it's more about running the company. Than, the, than making a gain on the investment. Like you guys still think this is about the gain on the investment. You know, he's been pretty clear about what it's about. It's not like he's like, oh, I think Twitter's well, like this way. The on gain the on the investment matters for the sure equity holders that he's now bringing in. Okay. He doesn't seem to have a hard time doing that. Even though that nope. was, that was See, the challenge yeah, that you guys I mean, well, he just, how many how many weeks ago? Well, that's like, because oh my God, let's, how's he let's get go, a well, let's go, let's go back to, those to, uh, everything that Elon was talking about in tweeting was antithetical to profitability. Now he has flipped the narrative and is talking about building a really, really profitable business, growing very significantly, more than doubling revenue off of where we are now, 5Xing profitability or 4Xing it, whatever it may be. Um, and bringing it back public again. It's just a totally Elon different has said, uh, Elon has said 
a lot of things about Twitter in the past weeks, months, and years. So to claim that everything he said, to use an absolute term, was antithetical to profit, I think it's factually incorrect. Okay. A significant amount of what he said was antithetical. He says a lot of different things, and he also has a great respect by people that have billions of dollars, clearly. So to, yeah. to think that he yeah, wasn't going to get- great, He's the greatest mind of, or okay. one of, of our time, of course. He has a lot of respect. Okay. Bottom line is he got it financed. Moving on. Tim Sweeney, Brandon. Tim Sweeney. Monumental news, everyone, exclamation point. Fortnite is now available to play for free, all caps, streaming to web browsers on iPhone, iPad, and Android via Xbox Cloud. No subscription required, no 30% Apple tax. Not that I think any player consumer really gave a shit that there was an apple tax or not well that's what was sort of weird is it going to be cheaper now epic was kind of bearing that cost anyway um no i mean this is like is battle pass get 30 percent cheaper like is that why people would care or it's the same price it's just epic makes more money now yeah it's fuck the man right and uh, (laughs) i guess it goes into um epics pockets but we'll see maybe maybe they will discount who knows i do think this is an extremely interesting deal in a couple of regards one is um the utilization of the open web on mobile to circumvent the app store which is not something that's really been um done a lot um especially in the games world number one and number two from in xbox microsoft perspective uh, this is this is a pretty smart deal because now you have a pretty large engaged user base that wants to play um, Fortnite on mobile. And in order to do that, what do they now need? An Xbox account. And what are they seeing? How cloud gaming works. Uh, um, and that opens up a whole new pool of potential uh, cloud gamers for Microsoft. I just wonder whether people really want to play on iPhone and Android web browsers versus well, they, apps. Like, uh, yeah, I mean, I just let's see. I know they the want to play on phones. I know they want to play on phones. Let's see what the experience is. Has uh, Microsoft nailed that experience well enough at this point that it's going to be okay? I don't know. I feel like they wouldn't probably want to do this deal and push this out with such a high profile title as Fortnite is if it if it wasn't the case that's what we'll see i mean cloud gaming is extremely difficult as walt can probably attest to maybe i'll read this and you can explain it brandon for we have wpp saying wpp and epic games partner to accelerate innovation for clients in the metaverse and then we've got a second one on here welcome to the roblox spotify island meet your favorite artists play with sounds and more the possibilities are endless so lots of brands partnering of, with the metaverse and we talked about this i think last week that despite 
the kind of sell-off in Roblox's stock price and maybe some tough comps and stagnation in terms of growth um, the last you know, couple of quarters in the U.S. Um, brands are pretty rabid to get, get their footprint on the Roblox platform. Uh, we have a number of different uh, studios, more professionalized studios that we're invested in or talked to that have massive backlogs for brands to build out in the quote metaverse. And for, um, with Epic, you know, the next iteration of Fortnite is coming. It's coming pretty quickly. I don't know if it'll be this year, but maybe next year. Or it was supposed to be last yeah, year, the year before. Be there. Yeah, exactly. Um, but brands are going to play a big role in that. And it's not going to be the very well curated kind of partnerships that you've seen so far. It's going to be open to everybody. And they're building the, they continue to build the infrastructure. And, you know, from the standpoint of we've got all of these brands going in. Do you think like how many have actually like really, I mean, they're all there because they feel like they have to be there. Yeah. Well, well, first of all, they're not all there yet. Right. It's true. They're, they're absolutely, they're absolutely not all there. They're just starting to build presences. I mean, there's not even enough kind of know-how in the marketplace for how to build these experiences in 3D interactive. And there's only a limited number of studios that can help brands. So this is something that's more on the come than it already exists. You did see a big rollout this week with Spotify launching their experience on um, on uh, Roblox. Yeah, I just I look. I'm curious. Like, obviously, you know, we've seen things like the tacos and certain things that have blown up and really created a lot of visibility. I just wonder, like, how used some of these things actually are and you know, do they come and go very, very quickly or versus are they ongoing things that people yeah. literally love using? I think there's going to be two types of um, these experiences. There's going to be permanent brand presence where you'll, you're going to have to have brands continuing to think about how to create and engage people in becoming a destination um, in on a metaverse platform. And then you're going to have you know, like you have for yeah, any product, kind of like pop-up, you know, short-term advertising. An example of that would be a movie release. Right. And you'll see, you know, an experience that pops up for a couple of weeks around the release and then it'll go away or a car launch or, you know, any other way to reach consumers. It's This is no different than... Um, anything in social media, like Nike has a permanent account. They continue to add content to the account. Um, but I wonder what usage looks like of that Nike experience over time and how it really, you know, how they look at the brands ROI. are going to have brands are going to have to learn to be, you know, fairly in, engaging. Correct. That meaning they have and, to be and like it's ongoing. A new, and it's a new muscle. It's interesting because if you look at um, Instagram, TikTok, a lot of these other things, they're still, I, they're clearly different formats than the 30 second ad spot, but mm -hmm. they're, but they're both video, right? So at least there was 
kind of some feeling that the creatives had on it. This is a completely different format that brands are not used to um, playing in. And I think that's why coming full circle on this, the the partnership with WPP working directly hand in hand with Epic for education purposes and to think through what best practices should be and how to really engage consumers is an important approach. Roblox seems like they've, you know, they're kind of like partnering up brands with studios, but really taking a step back. Tim is a much more hands-on, how do I call it, control freak uh, type personality than Roblox, which is more trying to take just the straight platform approach. Rich, the... um... (laughs) Hello, Rich. Sorry. Hi. I was here. Hello, Mr. Green Hair. Hello here. I know you're ready. No, no, no. I to go I on was... the next slide. Fire away. Just a, just a two-second pause is all we ask. Um, the um, Dr. Strange is launching today, and I'm just curious when the mouse might be creating some of these experiences that Brandon's describing to try and build more interest and create more interactivity with their with their great content. Well, based on the pre-sales and sort of the overnights, I think globally the film's already done $130 million. I don't know if they need a lot of extra marketing muscle to help this, but it is a good question of like, is it only only about increased marketing muscle for the consumption of the product itself, or is it also broadening out the ways that you can benefit from from that? Well, that that is the most important thing you've said. And I think the reality is- Sadly, I think a lot of it has been the promotional side of it versus the ongoing so far, so far. And well, I think that's so sort my, of what so Brandon's talking about, how to transition into I, that. I'm going to counter that a little bit, okay? Because if you think about, you brought up Disney specifically. And don't forget, Disney has had an ongoing partnership with Epic where they had Marvel kind of for a whole season as a theme going through Fortnite, they did the same thing with star wars they've really worked hand in glove um together and disney has been one of the more how do i put this um interested or aggressive um uh so what do they have marketers. for dr strange then if they've done such a great job working hand in glove what's the dr strange experience? well that for that specific asset i oh. don't know that oh, there's so anything been built out so let's there. go back to my original there question, maybe on robots not, which, i don't which, know which was i think diverted again the original question is rich when does the mouse do these things not for promotions but in order to extract more value out of the investments that they're making well and i think tied to that is like roblox has collapsed stock price wise valuation wise disney's a 200 billion dollar company doesn't really play in the gaming world like should Disney be looking at Roblox now as a transformative like deal? Controlled you know, company. It is, but being part of Disney is sort of a once in a lifetime opportunity. I don't know. True. No, we I don't know. We've brought that up in the past. You've talked about like, Epic what, in the past. Yeah. What does Disney Epic look like? But again, I mean, you're calling, you're specifically calling out Disney, who has you know, been the most aggressive in creating kind of these lasting ongoing experiences. But it speaks to the fact that the most aggressive of the companies, who's this massive brand with this massive consumer facing product that's being released 
I guess yesterday and today doesn't have anything. And they're relying on third-party partnerships versus owning and operating what is theoretically the future of media. So I prefer not to pat them on. Let me finish. So I prefer not to pat them on the back and then question why they're not doing more. And you can you can do whatever you want in terms of asking why other brands are not embracing Epic and, and everything that they're doing. That's fine. But like if if the if the great guy that we're patting on the back is not even doing something for this great content that they're releasing, you gotta wonder what why that is and when that's gonna change. Um, I think going back to Fortnite, they kind of plan their seasons one by one and they'll have a theme or a partner for each particular season i don't know that there's room that's not dynamic for... so how do you ongoing sell stuff well, if you're just that's like saying the, that, there's the going there's that, a like trend what, what just, listen what, to me what you there's just a transition was like happening right now on the epic platform as we said at the beginning of the segment where they are going from being just fortnite to being an open platform where other where any brand can come on and have the ability to create an experience. That transition has not yet occurred. It is something that we thought was going to occur last year, then this year, and maybe next year. But we are not there yet. So it is difficult to call out brands for not being able to do something. That's all. We're clearly not there yet. That's why I'm asking when that is going to happen. I'm not saying why it's not there. I'm, the, the original question, which still hasn't been answered, is for Disney specific, no matter how much we want to pat them on the back, when they will get there. But since you, when you interrupted me and kept going and talking what you were describing in terms of seasons, just reminds me a lot of like the auto industry and how basically people can't integrate into cars because they have seasons or cars built three years in advance. And if that's the business model in a web three world, then that's not a great business model that you can't dynamically change and add in brands in an, in an individual season. The transition point for Epic, I've said this four times already, so mm-hmm. please listen to me on the fourth time, Okay, is something that is in the process of launching. Again, we thought it was going to launch this year. Yep. Now it sounds like it will be at the end of this year or sometime at the beginning of next year. That transition point is going to open, theoretically, we'll see if it actually works, open up um, the, quote, metaverse to many more participants in a self-service type of way, as opposed to having to to work together directly um, with the, you know, the Fortnite creative people. You're going from a game to a platform. That's the transition point. And a platform like Roblox. Now, if you want to call it out and say, okay, like let's look at Roblox and how brands are using that. Yeah, I mean, they probably, I don't know if they actually do have an experience for this particular asset. We can easily search it if we pull up Roblox. Um, but brands are definitely needing needing to learn how to integrate into these um, platforms and build on them, which I think is the reason why the WPP partnership is so important on Fortnite or the soon-to-be Fortnite creative too. I paused. Now we're moving on. <laughs> 
So, Brandon, you want to tee up Nick Khan before I play the audio? Hugo would be proud, Rich. Can I <laughs> can you tee this up? Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, sometimes you have to give a lengthy explanation when the person on the other side isn't listening to you. <laughs> <laughs> Could you tee this up, you two? Sure. This is a picture of Nick Khan. Under Nick is an icon with a sound thing, which presumably means we're going to hear some audio from Nick Khan. Hit it. Let's talk Netflix. The Hi. Netflix business shifts that everyone on this call are fully aware of signaled to us a number of things. First, Netflix is willing to make adjustments and reverse positions when it identifies an issue. A few years ago, Netflix put out on social that it was okay with password sharing amongst users. Obviously, that has changed. As recently as 2021, Netflix's most senior executives said there would not be an ad product on Netflix. A quote from the Netflix earning call, earnings call just a year ago, our fundamental product is on-demand and advertising-free. Sports tends to be live and packed with advertising, so there's not a lot of synergies in that way. As we had mentioned on our last earnings call, it's just a matter of time before Netflix goes with live. Nothing commands a higher CPM than live, and nothing offers the leverage to command broader buys. Wow, this is Nick Khan's mosaic theory on, on what Netflix is going to do next. Um, obviously, Nick is extremely hopeful that Netflix gets into sports rights. Or Not just Nick Khan, every sports league on the planet hopes that. Of course, everyone needs another bidder. Nick has Raw and SmackDown coming up on a global basis. I think a year from now, you'll probably have the next domestic deal inked, and he wants Netflix to be there. The question is, is Netflix, which has now given up, kind of Reed has given up the quote religion on a lot of his sort of the ideas that he was steadfast on will move on to sports rights. And I think our belief here is that yes, to a certain extent, he will. Um, in, in when that is at a reasonable price and there's going to be ROI, I think it's going to happen at first internationally. So if you're Nick and you're sitting out there with your India rights also coming up, which disappointed last time, maybe you dangle that in front of Netflix in a market where you know, WWE is extremely popular and they talk to kind of the viewership being in the tens of millions of people for WrestleMania um, last month uh, and and try and get it, use it to build engagement um, and subscriptions. But, but the simplistic part of this is, but the simplistic part of this is once you say you're going to be in the advertising business, yeah. Why wouldn't you want to be in the highest profile part of the advertising yeah. business, which is sports, which is a great point that he's making. And it's well, hard to it disregard. Depends. Sports has still always been a law, like a loss leader from an advertising perspective. It has been something that's driven affiliate fees in the past, um, not an economic equation that works out otherwise. So if the incremental subscribers that you're going to get make up you know for that for the advertising shortfall in the same way that affiliate fees currently do then it's an economically rational thing to do i don't know that that's going to be the case 
in the US where sports rights are extremely inflated. It may make sense in some international markets where, where sports rights are less competitive, um, number one. And number two, especially maybe you want a loss lead in a market like India where you've had no success or little success. We've got um, a tweet from Yanko Rogers saying Disney has sent Disney plus users in Spain, a survey to figure out why they share their passwords. The possible answers are very interesting. Um, I'm not going to read the rest of it. I think it's pretty obvious here that Disney is essentially, which has also seen sort of slow in growth. And, you know, before Netflix said they were going to do advertising, Disney was going to say it said they were looking at um, doing advertising at later this year. Disney reports next week, so we don't know their subscriber metrics, but they clearly were talking to a slowdown in, in it sounds like the U.S. and among other places. And so sort of the question is, this is not surprising in all of these services. I think in many ways, the password sharing crackdown will actually go better for Netflix if it's not just Netflix. I think the more other companies that sort of crimp down on this and the more it sort of becomes the way all of these services function is probably going to be a positive, right? Because it means you, you can't just like switch to one other service and not have to deal with this issue. And it sort of also prevents this idea of like, I sign up for one service and you sign up and then we both share if all of these services are sort of functioning the same way. You know, we'll see whether they all, how they all do it and whether it's all the same, but it does, it does speak to the issue too, that all of these services are starting to struggle with just the size of the market you know, and, and Disney's really cheap. Like, so it, it's it's funny that Disney's even dealing with this issue. Yes, they're they have a lot less content on the site, but Disney's feels like they're dealing with this issue at a much lower level of penetration overall. People have always password shared on Netflix. Everyone, who, you know, is trying to save a buck. Sure, but everyone's password shared on all of these services. I mean, I don't think it's not. I think your point that it becoming sort of a widely practiced thing, not just Netflix, is astute. Um, Netflix, you know, has a Wall Street problem now. They don't have a consumer problem. They're going to have to handle this with kid gloves. And to the extent that others participate, that it's obviously easier to do that. So good point. Yeah, it's going to make it easier for everyone. Let's move on. We've got... Um, it's always great to have Charlie Ergen, who I think was the first executive ever to sort of admit the Netflix problem that was affecting the industry and sort of how could you, when you had on demand and lots of content for a low price, how was the big expensive bundle ever going to work out? So we, we asked Charlie on their earnings call uh, after Walter nicely teed me up uh, to ask a question. We asked him about um, what was happening in video because cord cutting is accelerating Obviously, to the last slide, we're seeing subscriber slowdowns even in streaming, and this was Charlie's answer. Well, I think the video, I think the video, just the video content providers, we need to make they need to help us help them make the product better, right? It, if 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 I'm if I'm, this is a trend in in, in the younger generation. If they're watch, if you're watching two hours of TikTok, you're not watching two hours of Discovery. So, which you used to do, and. I prefer my kids watching Discovery than TikTok. You know, it's like the whole idea that it was all about linear television being eaten by Disney Plus and Netflix and HBO Max and 
all of these services. And for the, it's, I think it's the first time I've really ever heard any media executive say short form mobile content is eating into television like that directly. I just don't feel like you ever see, you don't hear David Zaslav address, we have a TikTok problem. You don't hear Bob Chapik saying we have a TikTok problem in viewership of, we know it's actually happening. I mean, it's obvious that it's happening. Uh, you know, and I, I put this other tweet up on the the slide that, that literally I just saw this this morning, but Duke's newest class, how to be a TikTok influencer is literally a class at Duke University, which I just thought was sort of funny, but just shows how big TikTok is getting and a billion a billion users. They're talking about doing 11 billion of revenue this year is what I just saw in one of the studies that just came out is that's where they think their number is up 3x year over year. And I know it's Walter's favorite platform. To me, this, sorry, Walt. I think what I mentioned last week is maybe less so. I think we maybe we might be um, hitting peak TikTok. There's only so many hours you can spend a day flipping through it. Um, to, it's, to me, this is just an extension of the kind of Reed Hastings. We can, our biggest comp or one of our biggest competitors now is Fortnite, and our biggest competition is sleep. There's a million things that people do, and this is one of them that's taking time up now. Right. It's just, you know, the, the reality is, is that when these companies look at themselves, they're thinking about sort of how do they program or compete against, you know, Warner Brothers or WBD, Warner Brothers Discovery is thinking about how do they compete with Disney or how do they compete with Netflix? And the reality is just to your point, Brandon, the the, the competitive set for time is so much wider and it, it makes it that much harder for these companies to actually compete because the innovation and sort of the, I don't know, the sheer pleasure, whether you like TikTok, whether you like Instagram Reels, I don't care pleasure. what it is. Well, fun, just that these are fun. I mean, when at the TikTok new front, which is the slide behind me, which is their what sort of the screen they were using for their new front presentation this week with all the different hashtags that people create content on, you know, when they when they talk about what is TikTok, they start off by saying TikTok is an entertainment company. Like their focus is on entertaining you. It's not communications. It's not messaging like Snapchat. It's purely, it's not your friends. It's not even what you follow specifically. It's just purely entertainment. There's always going to be something new. So whether it's TikTok, which was Snap before that, which was Facebook before that, Instagram after that, there's always going to be something new. So by definition, if you're a legacy share owner of time spent, you're going to you're only going down. <laughs> so I mean, I think the attempt to to go up, I don't know, you you have to buy something new or do something new, not try and go up or hold on to what you've got. First of all, I completely agree, but let's look at the, let's look at the, let's look at the comparison to when we were all growing up in this business, what happened early on. You know, if you were to look at like the mid to late nineties, even into the early two thousands, that's when you were growing up in this. No, 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 but but what I'm getting at, (laughs) what I'm saying is, is like you started with broadcast networks and you created cable networks and then you started creating more and more cable networks to capture more time spent. So like they were launching businesses to capture more of your time spent overall. And now all of these businesses, you're right, they're all losing time because they're not in any of the categories that are new and exciting. They're not creating them. They're just letting them expand. Just to your point, Disney should well, buy Roblox, right? Or there, should buy there, Fortnite. There to was, own that. Sorry. 
there was an expansion of the amount of time that people had for entertainment, for video entertainment, for games entertainment with mobile, right? So you, you saw years of tailwind as mobile expanded until it reached and applications were built out till it reached saturation. Now we are at the point though, it seems like, where there are no additional time segments to kind of to fill in in the day. And it is an outright um, war for time where, yeah, if you're a legacy person and something new comes along, there's no more time expansion. You know, why has nobody bought Spotify? Why has nobody bought Roblox? I mean, yes, these are controlled companies, but these are yeah. companies that <laughs> occupy a lot of time spent and no one's bought them despite real contractions and valuations. Just interesting. Well, maybe they're not for sale ever. I think the contraction in valuations happened really, really uh, rapidly. I, so let's kind of see how things shake out over the next several months. If you have a situation where, you know, a year from now, you look at the valuations and they are where they are, where a board might have no choice in a non-controlled situation, but to accept um, an offer, you know, at, at a premium to where we're at, then maybe, but things have happened very, very quick. And just one note on that, Twitter's board certainly <laughs> reacted yeah. quite quickly. So while in the past, you might argue that <clears throat> if the stock's down or a board be like, oh, we don't want to sell when it's down, like, I don't know, maybe they will if we're looking at a prolonged, challenging economic and interest rate environment. Yeah, I think Twitter also, though, I mean, if, as we've discussed ad nauseum, had years and years and years to get shit right. Um, and they never, you know, quite got there. So, um, and they weren't going to hit their multi-year targets probably, which, which may have played into it a bit, but we'll see interesting times ahead. fellas. I'm really worried about reading this improperly. So Walter, could you please read this one? <laughs> what? Is it Roku? Oh, That's I'll, hard read to read. No, 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 I'll read it. No, I'll read it. No, we wanted to set Rich up for his pronunciation oh, oh, the of bottom Canal one. Plus, but I'll read it. That's fine. That's fine. We Canal need more American plus. accents on TMT stuff. Uh, Roku <laughs> Apollo among bidders for star stake as Lionsgate mulls options. And then the second thing, FT Market says Vivendi's Canal Plus. Working uh, on bid for stake in US TV channel stars. Rich, how do you say that one? Canal Plus. Very good. There you go. The crazy thing is, is like, I don't, I mean, look, Roku clearly they didn't up they did a new front. It actually I thought was actually very well produced and um, interesting in terms of their pitch to advertisers this week. The first time they've ever done a new front, but I don't really know what a minority stake in Stars really does for for Roku. Like I could see you know buying a stake in Lionsgate and saying I want to sort of be part of that content creation or buying all of Lionsgate, uh, but be, buying a piece of a premium pay cable network does seem odd. And look, unless Maybe the longer term, you know, thought process for for Roku is how do we move from just ad supported, which is their, you know, their entire model is ad supported right now in terms of like really the growth strategy and the growth story. Maybe the goal over time is to diversify and have more of an SVOD strategy on top of AVOD. Owned and operated? Maybe. 
Yeah, they have a huge platform. Yep. I don't know. Uh, you know, I still remember being on stage and, you know, talking to Anthony Wood and saying, you know, like, what if, what if advertising on TV isn't as big as, you know, it, people think it is. And he goes, you know, if we get to a hundred million um, active accounts, which is the, the number that they sort of talk to. And they're like, at whatever, 50 plus now, high fifties, how, if we get to a hundred, shame on us if we can't figure out how to make money at beyond advertising. So maybe the part of this is just sort of getting their feet wet in, in having more being learning. smarter about this. Yeah. yeah learning. Just maybe. learning. Yeah. yeah because maybe. I mean, if you're a big share shareholder and have info rights and all these other things, and you're close to it, board discussions, all these things, um, yeah, you're going to learn. Look, they also can preference things, right? Like there's no doubt Netflix has always had a special deal given the Netflix Roku relationship. And it, you know, you always see you know, there's a strong tie between Roku devices and, and Netflix subscriptions. Like, could you do the same thing and help stars? The answer is for sure. You could definitely help star subscriptions if you wanted to in terms of positioning it and marketing sure. it. I don't know. It's interesting. I'm not, you know, I think people don't really understand it, but I think that might be some of the rationale in terms of like why Roku could be sniffing around. Now let's go to the absurd. John Oren's got uh, one of my favorite topics, Sinclair's local sports service, which is Bally Sports. They're going to call it Bally Sports Plus, really an original idea. I would never have gotten to add the plus on at the end. I thought it was loose. (laughs) That's good. That's good. Uh, $190 per year or $19.99 per month. Uh, you know, I just, I know we've talked about this concept before of like, who's the subscriber, but honestly, $19 a month or $190 so that you can just stream local sports. And it's not even the baseball teams in most of the markets, other than five markets, it's not even the baseball teams. It's just the basketball and hockey. And you're going to spend $20 a month or 190 a year. First of all, the Paying for the whole year seems crazy because if your team sucks and is way out of the, like, do you even watch as many games? So like my guess is more people probably do do the the monthly plan. And that monthly price is just like, why would you just, you probably want all the other sports and you're going to sign up for cable. Like you're going to get a YouTube TV or sorry, you're going to go get a Comcast or a Charter or Direct TV subscription. Like it's just, I don't understand who the subscriber to this is at that price. Not me. I know. Nay. Well, but I think the part of the problem is what's on the second part of this slide, which is Mark DeStefano has this thing scoop, the latest from Jessica Tunkel, to zone the European football-focused streamer being propped up by Ukrainian-born billionaire Len Bolotnik lost another $1 billion last year. And it, it just speaks to the problem that everyone is having. Is there a model for standalone sports in the streaming world? Like, is it, is it possible ESPN hasn't done it for a reason, right? Like there's a reason why it's ESPN plus is limited versus, you know, (laughs) there's a reason why they haven't gone into putting full ESPN over the top is because I think the model just doesn't work. I mean, you're going to have high churn. You're going to have people churning off after certain seasons are over. If their team is weak, like it's just, it doesn't have the, you know, you always call it, Brandon, like sort of the concentric circles. Like there just aren't enough concentric circles of content that keep these services going. Like I can't see why people will will pay for these services, especially when they want far more standalone basis. Yeah, you're yeah. talking about like national and local. If you're a local sports fan, you're probably going to want national, right? I mean, we've t- we've discussed this ad nauseum. It it's, just doesn't. It, but the price point makes it even more disgusting, I guess, is the point. Like hard disgusting. to believe. Yes, disgusting. Disgusting. 
Disgusting Why don't you read Daniel Ek, Brandon? You know what else is disgusting? Green hair. Okay, could you read this? <laughs> Daniel Ek. I've always been vocal about my strong belief in Spotify and what we are building. So I am putting that belief into action this week by investing $50 million in Spot. I believe our best days are ahead. So last quarter, after everyone reported, Reed Hastings. Like in January, January, I think. In January, Reed Hastings bought stock because he, you know, believed in his company uh, where the stock was. And this quarter, it's Daniel Eck. Rich, compare and contrast, please. Well, I, I will say the irony, Brandon, is that Ted Sarandos, who is the co-CEO of Netflix, is a board member of Spotify. So there oh, is some little irony there or a little connection there. But look, I think the difference is, is Netflix was missing numbers. Spotify isn't missing numbers. I mean, I think there's investors to sort of what Daniel's sort of speaking to is there's investors who are pissed off that they're investing in their business, not showing margin accretion, but literally investing to quote unquote win. Spotify is not losing because there's some competitive threat or something's weak, like that is not the problem. Yeah, is the ad market slowing on everybody, yeah, I mean, every company? That, but like, leave off the ad market and supply chain, what that's doing to the economy, and, and then turn advertising. But the reason Spotify is where it is is people are pissed that they are investing to win in audio. And Daniel's basically saying, "I don't give a shit what you investors think. Like, I could care less that you don't like this. We're gonna win. I'm more excited now than when we went public at $140 a share five years ago, four years ago." And look, it's not a massive amount of money, but I think it's a strong sign of his confidence in where this business is going. And so not massive for you, Rich. That's massive for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're very funny. Very kind, Ren, <laughs> but you know. Yeah. I wish there was always direct correlation to when founders bought and sold stock, but unfortunately, that is not the case. And sometimes they are blinded by their own confidence. X marks oh. the spot, Walt. Indeed. Brandon, oh, I get. To, uh, well, why doesn't Walt one. read this? Yes. This is a. This is like yeah. a wall because because he, because he dis- this is, because he dis- this is a wind up doll situation right yeah. now. So yeah. um, let's wind Walt up and let yeah. him read and react together. The Federal Trade Commission, that everyone should know <laughs> by this point, is led by Lena Khan, has opened an inquiry into Sony's $3.6 billion acquisition of gaming firm Bungie. Firm. <laughs> First of all, before we have Brandon comment on this. And, I don't even um, want to comment. I just want you to. <laughs> it should be noted that um, I think I think it might have been Politico or Axios, somebody, there was comments about maybe some unhappy employees within the FTC because maybe if you have someone from academia put in to run a large organization that an organization um, doesn't really have a great morale at the moment. Um, and I think also, Rich, we we took a tweet out from earlier that FTC is potentially looking at, at um, Elon's purchase of Twitter um, within their jurisdiction. So whether it's Twitter or Bungie or whatever it is, we look forward um, to the FTC pursuing one of these actions in a court of law. Okay, Brandon, Bungie. I mean, let, let's put it this way. If the FTC has a problem 
with Sony buying Bungie for $3.4 billion. And, you know, they really only have one successful game at the, at the current time, like really successful game. Then there's going to be a big problem with Microsoft buying Activision. Well, yes, they will have a big problem, whether either would be successful. That's um, another story. Whether, whether yeah. the FTC. <laughs> yeah. So I look forward to either of these things being pursued because I think it was it was um, Lena. I'm almost certain it was. So correct me if I'll we'll address this next week if I'm wrong. That said, we there shouldn't be um, whatever uh, conditions. You should either go block it or not block it. Like never work with companies to figure out what would make it work. Just just go after them. So, so we look forward to that and seeing how those court proceedings go and i look forward to your reactions to it walter i would i look forward to sitting in the court cases just when i (laughs) i bet you'll go like i did when the new york ag um made their weak attempt at blocking sprint t-mobile which by the way a better attempt probably would have been successful but it was feeble at best Remember when Rich went to the Aereo court case? It was it was the highlight. That was the of his, highlight of yeah. literal. That was actually when I mean, we've known Rich for decades. My that hair was made, so not gray, and no, it was, there was definitely no green. There was definitely were, no green. Yeah, but you were like nerdier looking then. Oh God! So so you're you're evolving in a in a positive way, except for the green hair. I um, walked into a, I walked into Alan Patrickoff's book party the other day in my hoodie, and everyone's like. Instead of the suit that everyone else was wearing, they're like, what are you like? You showed up to our you showed up to our read meeting this week um, in a hoodie. I I even put a button down on for that one. I did. I did. I'm 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 full hoodie now. Which what's crazy is do you remember when we were talking about doing the uh, swag for the company for Light Shed? Which we never really wound up doing. We should get on your that. Failure, and you your were failure. like, I was like, I want to make hoodies. You're like, I hate hoodies. Now you are. Okay, now I'm full. Peter Adderton, I guess. I'm now Peter now you're Mark Zuckerberg. Well, that's what I'm wearing now. The Mobile X for the Mobile X MVNO launch by Peter Adderton, friend of Lightshed. He, he also sent two hoodies to me, two Mobile X hoodies. So we wish him all the best. <laughs> because he sent, yeah, where's my hoodie? Um, I thought it was Degeneration X. I thought that. <laughs> no, this is. I thought it was a wrestling thing. It's on Verizon's network. So we've got a. This is Scoop from Kaya Yurif, uh from the information. Scoop, Cameo has laid off 25% of its workforce. Stephen Galina, CEO, announced the news in an all hands meeting Wednesday. Obviously, they're, you know, they're certainly right sizing the consumer part of the business. But what was fascinating is that the, the other tweet in here is. From the information, Snap is partnering with Cameo to link advertisers with celebrities for Snapchat ads, which should give advertisers on Snapchat a bigger immediate pool of creators for sponsorship. And when you go to the Cameo for Business site, uh, you see, you know, Kenny G, Cedric the Entertainer, you see Bethany Frankel, Fran Drescher, like you see, you see Dennis Rodman, like you see a lot of people that and maybe this is not Taylor Swift, but you see a tremendous amount of talent. And it's sort of just interesting that the purpose that Cameo built their marketplace was to send video greetings, but now it's been repurposed to literally create all forms of TV advertising, now Snapchat advertising. It just yeah. sort of shows once you have a marketplace, what can you do with it? And it's just and a relationship, uh, right? Um, with the talent. With talent. 
Correct. I mean, it's interesting. You think about how that could be used um, to create ads in for or better ads in local uh, markets. You know, car dealership wants to hire whoever celebrity rich Greenfield to come and, you know, record himself, endorse, put it, you know, right into mobile ads where it's authentic. I think this is it. It's, I won't call it a pivot for Cameo because this has sort of been in the playbook as for at least as long as we've been looking at the business. Um, but it's it's a smart, smart use case. We've we got also disclose that Lightshed Ventures has an investment in Cameo through an SPV. We do. We do. <laughs> why, why did you disclose that? Well, is I this, think, what I think we, when we like, talk CNBC? about like when they talk about Comcast, the parent. <laughs> I mean, I think when we talk about a company that we have an investment in, it's it's good for our podcast listeners to know Lightshed Ventures' involvement there. I, I agree, Walter. And we will always do that. Claire Atkinson has a tweet new from Elaine Lowe and Natalie Jarvie. Kevin Mayer and Tom Steggs' Blackstone-backed Candle Media is in talks to acquire NFT company Notables, pointing to Web3 content ambitions. And then a separate article from Variety, Churning Group leads deal for 25% stake in Funko. For $263 million, investors include Bob Iger, uh, I think Rich Paul, a whole bunch of others investors as well. But Brandon, the reason I put these two on the same slide is, you know, they're both sort of new ways of, I mean, I assume both these deals are about leveraging IP. Is yep. that fair? Yeah. I mean, there's two ways to think about IP um, when it comes to Web3. Um, one of them is new content creation. And I think you've seen that through some of the PFP projects. We always bring up Board Ape, um, and that is, you know, uh, the premier example right now because those apes are being utilized to create gaming content and um, next video content. And the other is, if you have IP, new ways of distribution and building community around the IP. Um, uh, notables what they have done in the past and i'm kind of working with them a little bit and helping out on the um, grateful dead nft project so that's how i know them is they go and they work with existing brands and try and build um, nft collections uh, web3 strategy out um, um, for them so it, it makes sense to sync that in with all the ip that um that uh, Candle, Tom, and and Kevin are are acquiring. And do you think there'll be a Funko toy, Rich Greenfield? Like, do you think we could get one of those? I am going to let's. Why don't we uh, send a text or something to Jesse right now? I would and, really and like ask him. Of course, you do. I would love that. I mean, would, or even I a light shed, like a light shed podcast. A, I, three of them for the light shed I podcast that we can put field, on our desk. I think a Greenfield bobblehead definitely play i think you're you, it could have you kind of doing the peacock cock um dance where you bobbed your head up and down remember uh, that <laughs> that is um, the perfect bobblehead. Never forget it. <laughs> let's go to our final slide of the day nightmares got, about it we've got our funny last slide oh, of the peacocks day peacocks have green feathers they do they do <laughs> uh we've got our last slide being um 
just announced from ESPN PR, the first ever ESPN Plus exclusive NFL game. And it's going to be Broncos at Jaguars at 930 in the morning on October 30th from Wembley Stadium. Not exactly the, you know, putting an ESPN Plus game in prime time that people will actually care about, I presume, Walter. Uh, Doug Peterson as the coach of the Jaguars. I look forward to watching that uh, that matchup, <laughs> Rich. So you're so, excited for this? 100%. I, Even I though Doug it'll Peterson be 9 o'clock in the morning. Absolutely 9 o'clock. This is when I like to watch EPL matches. And millions of Americans wake up for um, EPL matches at that time in the morning. And by the way, so do Californians for uh, U.S. games. Maybe not that early, but close enough. 11. Speaking of fans, speaking of California fans waking up early, yeah. What is it with Miami sports fan? Because I was watching the hapless 76ers, and they couldn't fill the stands in Miami throughout throughout most of the first quarter for the NBA playoffs. They they must have been really scared. Maybe they were scared of COVID down there. What's going on with the sport? It's 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 you know L.A. Same thing. You know, it's a place to see. And be seen, Walt. It's not a place to watch the games. Now, what's interesting about the music we're listening to now is when you think about clap your hands, everybody, what do you think about, Walt? What song? Clap your hands, everybody. Um, I don't know what. For Philadelphia oh. 76ers. Yeah. I, think I, I don't I think, think that's we're going to out of my hear, mind. That's the winning song. I don't yeah. think we're going to hear that one Ever until again. next fall. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so we've we've replaced that clap um, song about clapping your hands with this one. So everybody clap your hands into the weekend. Happy Jazz Fest for me anyway. Enjoy and, Jazz uh, Fest, Brandon. And we'll uh, try not we'll, to get COVID again. <laughs> we'll, speak, we'll speak to you guys uh, next week. Take Peace care. Out. That's episode 105. Have a good week. X out. <laughs> X out. <laughs> <laughs>